0: Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious.
1: What? is sexual addiction. This is Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Gray Scott and Hannah Greaser, a show where we explore the most important cultural questions of the 21st century and how they impact the Christian faith. Last week, we hosted Doug Barnes, a therapist with more than 20 years of experience working with people who struggle with sexual addiction. Since this topic is so important and so vast, we decided to have him back to press a bit deeper into this issue. Doug, welcome back to Christian Curious.
2: Thank you, Dr. Scott. It's awesome to be here.
1: Thank you. Our first question is, can you give us an idea of what a healthy sexuality looks like? And maybe we can break that down before marriage and after marriage. What is, what does a healthy sexuality even look like? Because I actually don't think that that's something that we're taught.
2: And I totally agree with you. Um, and and just as a an assumption of our time, we have to realize, and and if we have enough time, this we're, we're peeling back layers of this humongous onion, and and it's all going to be kind of wrapped up together and and refer back to all the different layers. And so, if we if we look at what you know how does god define our sexuality and it's really to be used between you know a husband and wife and so as you stated most of us did not get a view of healthy sexuality meaning um you know what did what did my dad say to me as i was getting close to puberty what did he say to me yeah he said absolutely nothing
1: right that's what my dad <laughs> you know, said nothing and then later he right. said, don't do it.
3: <laughs> exactly. And, and that's
2: what the church told me. The church just reinforced it and just said, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this." Well, what's a hormonal 15-year-old boy going to do when you tell him don't do something? Right. right. And so I'm going to go out and try to find that out on my own. But long before then, we don't have the, the talk. I'm doing air quotes here. We don't have the talk. It, it's not like in the 50s when you know they talked about the birds and the bees did you get the birds and the bees talk you know beaver you know no we need a dialogue sorry i just gave it myself, right? I,
1: I don't even know what um, birds and the bees mean i'm just going to be full I, <laughs> completely honest i don't even know
3: right because they're not in relationship with each other you know birds right. and bees. <laughs> birds I,
1: I do not get it anyway continue on I don't sir I, do.
2: I, don't, I don't think i do either so uh we're, we're, we're in the same space with that um, so, so we didn't get to talk. And so I had to find out what it was on my own. Because, I mean, I get into puberty and things start to change. My body changes. My hormones change. I get aroused at things. All of a sudden, the, the little girls that were my best friends and punching me on the arm and playing chase on the playground, now all of a sudden they're starting to smell better and to look better. And I'm noticing body parts and i'm just in this state of confusion of going wow this all looks really great but what happens now what what does it all mean
1: right and, and i so think what we,
2: what we, yeah, go ahead.
1: i think for women there is an added element when you hit that stage and no one's talked to you about it and you start to feel that attraction build i think that there's a built-in element of shame like oh i shouldn't be feeling this i shouldn't be responding like this to the to this person because the church has told me no 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 no
2: like, and that that goes back to how do we as parents teach our kids about healthy sex, about the healthy change in their bodies, that we need to keep it age-appropriate, but we also need to be sharing with them that this is God's design for us. We need to have a, a sense of modesty, but at the same time, we need to also understand that, that our bodies are changing, and we're going to notice the other gender, and we're going to be attracted in certain ways, but we need to have, instead of shame-based, which that's the way most of us go into junior high and high school or middle school and high school, but we need to have it so that we, we understand the design of what our bodies are meant to do, to be proud of it, yet modest, and to be looking at, at how can I exercise this appropriately as I wait for that partner that God has designed for me later on
3: in my life.
1: Right. Because which is, most of us
2: don't get there.
1: Uh, which is getting harder for young adults because young adults are postponing marriage now, and that becomes a huge temptation if you're not married and you're prolonging that. Um, I know my husband was 33 mm-hmm. before he got married, so that's a long time to wait in adulthood, you know, and practice healthy sexuality. So what about after marriage? What What is, give us a little vision of what a healthy sexuality looks like within a marriage.
2: Well, here again, let, let's assume that, that you have had a healthy look before marriage. Okay, so there's, there's two ways to look at it. I did not get a healthy look, so I didn't have a healthy look going into marriage. And so I had no way, it, it's, It took me a while in in marriage for me to actually understand what that healthy sexuality was supposed to look like. So just for our talk today, let's assume that that a couple had those parents that were talking with them about healthy sex and what a marriage should look like and that you need to wait for that one person and so on. So, again, there's something in Scripture called lust of the eyes. And our, our enemy knows what that is. And so especially as men, you know, there are lots of books out there that talk about how different men and women are. And I get that. I get that. I'm not, I'm not saying they're bad, bad publications at all. But we have to use them as guidebooks and not as gospel truths.
1: Right. Now,
2: most guys, are, are, they, they, they use their eyes as a tool <laughs> to start looking for mates. And so that doesn't stop. I I can't gouge my eyes out once I get married. So there are always going to be temptations, whether it's uh, in the media, such as, you know, streaming TV or my favorite shows on TV or film or um, podcasts of some sort. It could be magazines. There's always going to be something to draw my eye away from my partner.
1: Right, and, and,
2: and women are that way too. There's always something, you know. I, I I'm going to date myself here again. I was thinking about this earlier. Back in the '80s, there was this dude with long hair on a white horse carrying a sword called Fabio. And yes, I remember he Fabio. You <laughs> had to mention his name, and every woman on the planet knew who he was, right? And so he was he was lusted after from a, in a different way. And so we all need to be able to understand what is the lust of my eye and how do I, how do I manage that temptation. So, so I'm saying this because there are temptations. Once we get married, there are temptations to draw us away. Because right. the, the attraction I have for my partner after a certain time, it's different for everybody, two months, two years, six months, six years, whatever it is, real life sets in. And now we need to understand that this, this relationship we're calling a partnership now becomes, when we talk about sex, it becomes, needs to look at, at uh, more of a negotiation rather than every Tuesday night and every Friday night or every Wednesday night and every Sunday morning. Of course, of course. Of course. <laughs> we have rules. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because that, that wonderful cycle that women have and I'm, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. That women look at their body differently every single day of the month. On um, some days it's, it, they look at it very favorably. On other days they look at it not very favorably. And so guys, they got one hormone that says I want sex, 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 and it's are 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Wow. Now, I'm not I'm not saying that that's right. <laughs> I'm just saying for most guys that's what that's what happens. And so it becomes a, a more of a negotiation of intimacy and not necessarily sex. Right. So now we've introduced something completely different, intimacy. What is intimacy in a marriage? Because to me, intimacy, you know, the, the picture of the iceberg, right? The, the tip that sticks out of the water, so you can just barely see it, but underneath there's that massive chunk of ice. Mm-hmm. Underneath the eyes, that's intimacy. That's that huge piece that we don't like to talk about and we don't like to get into, but that's the most important part to me. To It's the most important part of our connection together.
3: Right, and so I have a question coming off of that. Um, Last week you said something that I thought was so profound. You said that the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. It's connection. And so Mm
2: -hmm.
3: before... I get into that, just if people didn't listen to the show last week, um, or they, they haven't heard, if you could define what sexual addiction is, and then kind of off of that vein of intimacy, I'm, I'm curious if okay. that means that, like, the root of sexual addiction is actually a desire for connection, if that makes sense.
2: <laughs> it does. It does. Okay. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, so the popular definition um, of addiction is escape from reality. And, and how we apply that, I mean, and this, this applies to so many different kinds of addictions, what makes sexual addiction different is that I wasn't born with a cigarette in my hand or a bottle in my hand or food at my hand. I, those are external things to me. I was born with my sexuality, so I take it with me everywhere. And so from an early age, a lot of us have, have been either taught or it was perpetrated or we were molested, or we just found out in some way about our sexuality before we were ready. And I'm not talking about the, you know, the three- or four-year-olds, you know, you show me yours, I'll show you mine kind of thing. I mean, that's innocent, and that, that, that's something different. But most of us learned about sex before we were ready. And so when I, when I bring that back to intimacy, okay, so, so if I learned about sex before I was ready, I learned that something feels good. And then I begin to use it for my purpose rather than for God's purpose, okay. which is between a husband and wife. So if I go to, to intimacy now, intimacy, I have a definition that I, I, um, I go over with my couples. Well, I go with everybody, really, in my office. And, it's, and it goes like this. The, the desire to know, and that's K-N-O-W, the desire to know through vulnerable disclosure for the purpose of being caringly involved in another person's life. Right. And I know you're saying, wow, that sounds great, but what does that mean? Well, it's a good question. The desire to know, I, I think since Adam and Eve were created, it's in our DNA, it's in our genes to know our partner and to be known by them. And so when, if that's a true phenomenon, then what keeps me from really knowing my partner? And what keeps them from knowing me? And, and so we have to look at our families of origin, the, the, the homes we grew up in, because a lot of times we were hurt or shamed or coerced or, or, or some, some sort of pain involved here where I now protect myself and I only let my partner see what I want them to see.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
2: they know me to a certain point, but do they really know Every bump and bruise and scar and pain and and wound that I have, because that starts to foster compassion for my partner. If I know her, just speaking of my wife, if I know her wounds, then I can I can I can see where I need to have compassion for what's coming at me in our relationship.
1: Right. So, you know what it sounds like, um, Mr. Barnes, is that sexual addiction is. Where If it is a longing for connection, then sexual addiction is not providing a connection. And so some ways that it might manifest itself, it's all about self and self-gratification in a way. So you may use different things, um, you know, tools for masturbation. You may use pornography and all of those are about self-gratification. It's not actually about intimacy at all. Would you agree with that? And how else does sexual addiction manifest itself?
2: Well, there are affairs. There are escorts. There are the, the uses of media, meaning voyeurism, or now, you know, that people are going to jail for taking, you know, their cell phones and using them inappropriately in a public setting. And so there are, there are, any way that I, I want to misuse my, my sexuality and, like, as you said, gratify myself, then I am misusing that sexuality. And so I use... I, I try to, to, to be careful about the word addiction because a lot of people, especially in church, they have a real... A lot of people have a, a problem with the word addiction. Right. It, it, it has so many negative connotations. And so, to me, I'm, I'm still going back to how I misuse... My sexuality, for me, instead of having a relationship with my partner and being attached to her, or for me, in a way for my wife, I'm attached to my partner in a way that is healthy and gratifying for both of us, yeah, not just me.
3: And on that note, what are some ways that you've seen sexual addiction affect romantic relationships?
2: Um, Well, the the, the, the I guess the, the easiest way that we that we see, is, at least from my perspective, has to do with pornography and the way that someone goes about looking at porn. You know, it's it's this dirty, dark little secret that that is isolating because guys now have cell phones and and you know people are are up late at night at you know two or three in the morning and so they they lose uh productivity at work and they're losing sleep and so there's a short short use, so everybody gets their temper and so on and so on there's uh the way that that uh at least from my perspective people that don't guard their hearts at their at their employment when somebody bats their eyes or somebody walks past or somebody starts chatting you up with some kind of, you know, Hey, you look really nice today. Or, or gee, you know, you did a great job on that project. You know, well done. You should be a manager. Why aren't you a manager? You sh-, you know, you look like blank, blank, blank. And so if we're not guiding our hearts, then the door is automatically open to be fed those words of affirmation or those words of encouragement that, may not be from the most trusted sources you know that that brings up those people that
1: that need to do that two thoughts for me as far as you Mm -hmm. know you know i have done research before where i interviewed men in 50 different in all the 50 states and seven different countries about what they felt about working with women and the sexual addiction piece uh came up quite a bit as as a hindrance for working with women. So it actually has ramifications in the workplace because men are traditionally the leaders and yet in order to uh, maintain a healthy level boundary, they are at a loss at how to actually have a productive relationship with a woman that may not be romantic or, or sexual. That's a really big issue for them it's a really big, hard thing for them to overcome.
2: I would agree with that. I would agree with that, especially with what's happening in our culture today. Right. Because it's hard, it's hard to look at a, a simple platonic relationship. For, for me, anytime gender gets involved, we need to be guarding our hearts. We need to be, be putting up boundaries for me that says I need to be careful about what I say and how I say it. Because I can't, I can't have the same conversation, especially nowadays with human resources, you know, and all kinds of lawsuits and stuff happening in, the, in our world and culture. We do have to be on our guard because we can't be the good old boy network of the 50s and 60s because they could get away with it back then and women had no recourse. Right. Now they do. And, and that's a good thing because we need to be treating people as people – for their merits on the job and not for what they look like or what we
3: can get from them. Absolutely. Um, And I want to switch gears for just a little bit to make sure we talk more about pornography just because I have some questions that I'd love to hear your insight on. Um, I just, I remember... Growing up, I felt like it was always something that was trivialized in the media and in culture as just something that guys do. So I never thought about it until I was in a women's studies class where we watched a documentary actually about how the industry works. And I was just like in tears, like just not okay, just knowing, I don't know, some of the things that go down. So I found a statistic that said a study done a few years ago analyzed 304 popular porn films and found that 88 percent of them contained physical violence and 49 co- percent included verbal aggression and the women in these films the majority of them the recipients were were recipients of the abuse were shown as either neutral or enjoying the abuse so like looking at statistics like this makes me fear that the porn industry spreads harmful subconscious messages and um, but I'm just curious if you have any thoughts about those messages or if there's anything you think the average person might not know about um, either the effects of pornography or the porn industry. I know that was a lot, but. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I think I was tracking. Um, yeah, so I I, I agree with, with, you know, what you just said. And so the harm comes, and, and, it, and it really comes earlier and earlier and earlier, because with the, with the Internet, young people can get access to exactly what you're talking about, all the films and the images and whatever. And I've seen documentaries as well and read articles from, from women coming out of the industry that talk about the drugs that they're given, the, the, the treatment and abuse that they, that they endure, some at gunpoint. Some, you know, are trafficked. Um, others come in from, from homes where they've been, you know, abused or molested in ways that are so horrific that they, they've been, like, brainwashed, thinking that's their only value. And so when a young viewer, let's just take a young boy who is, is pre-puberty, okay, so his brain, our brains are not fully developed until about 19 to 25 years old. After that, we get into concrete thought, and we can make way, much better decisions. Before that time, it's, it's more like uh, uh, Jello or like tofu, I would say, <laughs> so, so that a lot of stuff gets through. And so if a young boy is watching this, and he's seeing two people have sex, okay, so she's smiling, he's smiling, and they're having this great time, not knowing what's behind it. And then as he gets older, now he starts to see the aggressive bit with the, well, I don't want to name them, but the, the, the uh, verbal aggression or the physical aggression, what he's saying in his mind is that's the way to have a girlfriend, that's the way to have a marriage, that's the way to have a sexual relationship. Yeah. And so a lot of times, again, those misinterpretations now, because the filter doesn't get concrete until about 19 to 25 years old, He's thinking this is the way to have a relationship. And so all of his girlfriends, all of his friends who are girls, he is now looking at them differently. And in his mind, more often than not, not 100%, but more often than not, there's a fantasy life going on that sees, you know, the head cheerleader, him and the head cheerleader, or him and, you know, the captain of the drill team, or whatever it may be, the captain of the debate team, whatever in these fantasies. And so now you've got a kid who's growing up, his body is changing, his his uh, mind is changing, and now he's getting into, you know, high school and college. Now he's starting to look at romantic long-term relationships with these distortions. Right. And so it's incredibly harmful, incredibly harmful, especially the younger that a kid is when they start looking at him.
1: Well, you know, it sounds like the the negative reaches of pornography are deep and wide because it not only affects the human person because um we're warned in the new testament that sexual sin is different from every other sin because it because it's committed against your own body and so in that way it's more severe it affects your relationships it affects the way that you see other people and it affects society in general and so all in negative ways you know and this is not just about men we should you know make that disclaimer but women as well um are right. getting into pornography whether it be through uh literature like 50 shades of gray or the bachelor or something like that you know women too struggle with this sexual addiction and you know we're about to wrap up this episode but um, doug you're going to be back with us next week to talk about what recovery from sexual addiction looks like.
3: Yeah, and on a little bit of a a lighter note. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Doug, thank you so much for being here with us today.
2: Awesome. Thank you for having me.
1: And thank you for listening. If you've many, missed any part of the show, you can find a link to all of our shows on our website at www.christiancurious.co to find more shows and find out more about us. That's www.christiancurious.co. Stay curious.
0: Thank you for listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can contact her with your comments or questions about today's show at our email Dr. Haley at christiancurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at christiancurious.org. You may also learn more by visiting the Christian Curious website, christiancurious.org. Join Dr. Haley again next week for Christian Curious on AM 670 KLTT.